you need a complete and absolute psychic change, a change in the way that you think. And it's going to take work. And it's going to take work on your part. Mm -hmm. You have to work at this. Real business, real business. Whatever your situation is currently is not your forever situation. That's really what real business owners is, man. Like, we don't care where you come from. Yeah. Where are you going? Our goal and our job is to reduce the mistakes that you have to make or the money that you have to lose. You want to be an entrepreneur, you want to be successful, don't give up. You learn, adjust, and continue to move forward. Welcome back to the Real Business Owners Podcast with myself, Trevor Cowley. As usual, Kel Goodman. What's up, everybody? Guys, we have a guest for you today, Robert Beatty. Um, I'm excited to dive into this one and <laughs> peel back the layer of this onion and uh, <laughs> hear some of the stories that this man um, has the ability to share with his own life and some of the experiences that he's had in you know, helping other people through recovery. He's an author four times over, owns, uh, you know, recovery centers, helping individuals that are struggling with, you know, substance abuse. Uh, is that, is it just substance abuse or is it, uh, you know, is there mental health stuff? Cause I, I saw yeah. something about mental health and depression. What if somebody's not really dealing with substance abuse, but they're just at a really low place in their life. Is that something that you take on as well? Or Absolutely. I, I yeah. would say that we're probably, um, I would guess we're probably um, 80, 80, 20, 80% mental health and 20% substance, substance abuse because yeah. most of what we do deals with the underlying issues of substance abuse, so, you know, like depression and anxiety and, yeah. and, uh, you know, the driving forces behind it. So we yeah. do TMS, we do, you know, transcranial magnetic stimulation as a part of our group. Uh, you already spoke over my head. That sounds like super uh, advanced. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, you know, uh, TMS, if you look it up, uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation is an FDA-approved device that stimulates an area of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, specifically mm. the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex, or it's an area right behind your left eye socket where there's a little engine in there about the size of a quarter that generates, like clockwork, it'll generate dopamine and, and, and secrete serotonin, and, and then it has these millions of millions of receptors coming off of it yeah. that distribute that to the body. And for people with chronic major depressive disorder, anxiety, PTSD, head traumas, CTE. Is it uh, the light genetic. thing that you follow a lot back and forth? Have you seen that thing? Uh, that's a part of the effect of that. Yeah. Okay. Because I've done but, that with my therapist. But the TMS is a, is, is a machine that looks like an oversized dental chair uh, okay. that uses an MRI strength magnetic pulse to stimulate 3,000 pulses into that area of the brain over about a 30-minute period of time. Mm. And, 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 and when does somebody, so if somebody's going through depression or recovery, you put them in that to help them through the recovery process that eases maybe some of the pain or some of the struggle, or is it just stimulated to the point where it gets working for itself again? Like what's the purpose behind that? I've owned inpatient, outpatient detox centers, and we have 20, 20 operating centers nationwide and 60 more in development. Mm. Um, so I, I have a history in this, um, but if you look at the model of treatment, the model of treatment today is to treat, to, to give people enough tools to help them do things like stop using yeah. uh, if they're using or uh, for some brief period of time, stop suffering. Uh, they do group therapy is a modality within the treatment industry that is widely used and abused. Um, like, like, a NAAA type group therapy. Is that what you're? Yeah. Yeah. A group session yeah, where yeah. people in the, in the share their program, stories, share their stories. Yeah. It, it's very effective to yeah. a point. 
it certainly doesn't cure anything. Right. So when somebody comes into my center, we start talking about the holistic uh, method and the spiritual method of overcoming addiction and mental illness. And we treat them concurrently. We don't treat them separately. So we treat mental illness and substance abuse as one issue. Mm. Most treatment centers won't do that. Mm. They'll separate them. And we don't because it's all mental illness. Yeah. And substance abuse happens to be one of the greatest mental illnesses in our history, greatest forms of mental illness, right? Yeah. So if you, if you just put people in a, in a, in a program and, and they're talking about their misery and their stories, <laughs> no one is going to get well. They'll get a break for 30 days. Yeah. yeah. But when they go home, what's going to happen if, if nothing changes? Then mm. nothing changes. Yeah. They're going to go right back to the that's same. My, that's, my, my, that's my issue with it, yeah. is uh, basically you're repeating the same war stories over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. Five years down the road, you're saying, hey, yeah. I'm an addict, I this, that, the other, here's what I used to do. Like, who cares what you used to do? What are you doing now? And, yeah. and uh, How are you like, progressing? Wh- where, where are you headed? Yeah. Right? How are you going to, what are you yeah. going to do now? Yeah. Yeah. You do have to get to a a moving on point from it, right? Because yeah. when I was going through my divorce and I went into some group therapy and we all sat in a circle and we all did these cool exercises. We did these yeah. like inner sentence, yeah. like the inner sentence or the core beliefs you develop from when you're like eight years old on in life or in that first eight years of life and then yeah. you take it on and and uh, your self-worth. A lot of that stuff is developed when you're a child, right? And so, you know, hearing everybody's stories and and kind of work and breakthroughs from it, including my own, it was like, okay, cool. Like I have a lot of data to reflect on from just my stuff and other people's stuff, but you do kind of have to move on at some point. You right. can't just stay, yeah. stay in that forever. Yeah. Right. Otherwise yeah. you're just, you're it's almost like, like a hole satisfying that shit. Right. Like let's just sit in the same hole over and over and over and over, Yeah, you know, eventually be like, putting, yeah. if you put 20 people in a room and, and I stood up and shared my story, yeah, half, well, more than half, 90% of that room after I did that would say to themselves, I am not like that loser and I can't identify. Mm. Right. So that's not effective treatment. It is maybe to get people out of their shell and talking. Yeah. But unless we go to the underlying issue of depression, of anxiety, of trauma, of the real traumas that they have suffered that, that are the driving factors why they pick up that bottle Mm. or they, or they pick up that drug we're not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. And so our centers focus solely, we set the substance abuse aside, right? Somebody comes in, they say, I've got a substance abuse issue. Great. We explain to them it's a mental, it's a form of mental illness. We're going to push that aside for a minute and let's move past that. And let's start Mm. looking at the reasons why that has become such an unmanageable issue in your life. Yeah. You don't have a headache because you didn't take an aspirin, right? Like you have a headache because maybe you're dehydrated or, you know, you didn't get enough. There's, there's, there's a reason why you have the headache. You just take the aspirin because that's something that's going to, you know, temporarily bandaid and fix it. But if you continue to live the same way, you might wake up every day with a headache and have to take the aspirin every single day. So like what you're basically saying is instead of talking about the aspirin, why do you need to take the aspirin? Let's go one step further. Why do you have the headache? Right. Let's go there first. Yes. Let's look at those issues. And then the rest of this will come along on its own. we got a great educational program that'll take care of all that. Don't worry Mm. about it. Yeah. Let's focus over here. 
Yeah. So we spend the next six to eight weeks working with people on their major depressive disorder, their traumas, their, you know, PTSD, if they have them, their, you know, ADD, ADHD, P, you know, the, 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 the bipolar, all the alphabets, yeah. all of them. Right. Yeah. So we're working on all that using TMS, using neural feedback, uh, we use neural feedback. We use brain mapping. So when somebody comes into one of our centers, we first do a brain mapping of their brain the day mm-hmm. they come in. We bring it up. We, we get a 3D image of that of their brain on a screen, and then we it'll, we can rotate it and we can see exactly where the issues that they are facing that's blocking them from a full recovery lie. Wow. So what shows you, up in bright red? Yeah, you get to see the neuro, like the 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 pathways that they travel most in their mind yeah. light yeah. up, and you have to shift them and have them walk down a new path and light up a different part of yeah. the brain. Yeah, and we'll bring it up and yeah. uh, and we'll show them. You see this red area right here? Let me explain to you on this chart what that is, what it's causing for you, mm. and how we're going to treat that. Halfway through treatment, we do another brain mapping. They see the diminishing of that red area. We get them through all of their treatment. We do a post mapping and they see that there's no more red area Mm, every single time. That's cool. That visual representation of like, I'm better probably is huge. Now we can, now we can really talk about how to move past this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's (laughs) That's cool. Really cool. I love that. And, and is this something that you learned from somebody else in the industry? Is this something that you personally went through and it helped you, and that's why you've implemented it. How did you get to the point of this is the way that we do it? It was a, a labor of love. You know, I started in the industry uh, after I recovered from my issues. I started in the industry, went back to Purdue University, pursued my master's in psychology and addiction, decided to be a therapist. I was going to be a th- therapist or a minister. One of the two was going to happen. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> now you're both. You're both. Yeah, you're right. You're both. You know. And, uh, and I, uh, I decided I was going to start my first treatment center, yeah. uh, which we did up in Park City, Utah. Mm. And we did the same thing everybody else did. Same modalities. Uh, group group therapy was the medium. Uh, so you just copied and pasted. Copied Because and pasted. you didn't know better, right? It was and just like, let's what, do what Over the do years, it. and then we developed one here in Rockland yeah. called the Retreat at Zion. But over the years, there's a pattern to this that emerges, and it is that the same people – that are have been in my program are still in my program mm. <laughs> and we're You're, billing the same insurance company yeah for the same person over and over You're like this is helping again. this is not getting anybody well mm. and i have a firm belief that addiction mental illness is curable not treatable it's curable mm. and Amen. it's my opinion I believe it exists. I believe that too. If somebody tells me I have cancer today and I'm going to have it for the rest of my life, I'm going to tell me I'm going to tell them that's not true, hmm. and I'm not going to believe that. Right? Addiction and mental illness are a disease. It's genetic. It's a physical disease. It has a compulsivity to it. It has an obsession of the mind that's attached to it. It's two part. But we're going to do stuff that's different because we believe that it's curable. Hmm. Okay, it's a controversial thing. So, do you do you believe that in, in repeating, you know, my name's Trevor and I'm an addict? Do you do you think that that reaffirms the fact that you're an addict, or do you think that 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 has some harm I to think it, it? I think it's very harmful. Yeah, because part of your identity. A, listen to way that sound that way yeah. that sounds versus hello, my name is Trevor and I went through addiction. 
Mm. And I no longer suffer from that. Yeah. That's a whole different story. Yeah. When you say it's right. genetic, do you, uh, is it like an epigenetic thing? Is it like passed down? Like, like, so, you know, kids that maybe are raised by an alcoholic, some will be like, well, that's what we do. We drink, like we're drinkers. Like, you know what I mean? This they what we do, they do this. Family, this, yeah. is, this is our family thing. And you know, I got that from my dad, but then there's always some kids that are like, I don't ever, like I have one friend never touched a drop of alcohol his entire life because he watched his dad be an alcoholic. But then there's a large amount of people that, you know, they, they drink because that's their family culture. It's what they do. But when I hear you say like, dude, this is actually a genetic thing. Is it epigenetic? So when they actually are like, you know, conceiving a child and their brains are wired a certain way, are they kind of passing that on? Is that what some of your research shows? You bet. I mean, the, the, the research has been done, you know, yeah. in 1959, the American Medical Association declared alcoholism and drug addiction and mental illness as a physical disease. Insurance was then required to reimburse it. So when I hear somebody tell me, hey, I don't believe that this is a disease, I, my response is always the same. Well, I, you know, you should convince the insurance industry of that. Because if you could do that, they would love you. They would <laughs> yeah. pay you a lot of money if you could convince it would them. would save them billions. Yeah. yeah. So you just go yeah. on about your way. Yeah. The rest of us will do what we do. Yeah. You know? And uh, it is. It's a physical uh, disease. It's passed down in, in the genes of our bodies, right? That doesn't mean it has to doesn't express that, itself. Doesn't, exactly. It doesn't mean that we yeah. wake it up yeah. and we turn it on. Yeah. And it might take years to do that. You know, I never had a drink of alcohol until I was 36 years old. Not yeah. one drop. You know, and I became alcoholic from the day I first tasted that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you, it passes down in generations. If I, I would have known... If my mother would have said, don't drink that because I, my parents are Sioux Indians and they have alcoholism and their yeah. parents do. And, and your father's Irish and they're all drunk and alcoholic and in their family. Yeah. And we just don't drink because we're Mormon people. You know, we're little old Mormon people. Yeah. Don't drink that. Well, I would have stayed away from it. She, yeah. she sheltered me from it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and didn't you talk to me about, about it. it and didn't teach me about it. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. God bless her for doing that. Yeah. You know? but she's no longer with us. But yeah. if she was here in this room, she'd be telling you, oh, I should have done that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I should have I should have never hidden that from him. I should have talked to him about this issue. Yeah. So so somebody somebody says, OK, I need to I need to make a change. They hit you up. They come into your program and it's a it's an outpatient program. It is. OK. Um so for me, I'm big on environments, right? The environment, like if you're in an environment with alcohol, your probability of drinking alcohol is probably going to increase yeah. greatly, right? Um, maybe not the first time or the 10th time or the 20th time, but eventually you'll, you'll have a moment where you're like, screw it. You know, this is what everybody's doing. It looks like some people had fun, whatever. I'm in a bad mood. I'm going to have a drink, right? I had to, uh, so I was a heroin addict. And I had a needle in my arm every single day for three years, right? Whether it was meth, heroin, cocaine, it didn't matter. It met, uh, heroin was preferred, right? Um, I had to, I tried several times over, and I would get to day two or day three, and then the physical pain, the real the pain, pain yeah. would kick in. And uh, no matter how strong I was going into it, the pain you know, took me out because I was one phone call away from relief. Right. Um, and so 
for me to actually kick it, I had to remove myself from the environments that I was in. And I went into the mountains in a camp trailer Good where tra- there was no, yeah, where, <laughs> you know, so it was like, if I tried to run and, you know, there's no cell service, none of that. Cell phones weren't even really big back then. Right. Um, and so if I wouldn't have done that, cause I tried over and over and over. And because I was a phone call away or in the same house, in the same environment, in the same room, my my association with this room is me using drugs in this room. My association, you know, with this cell phone is me calling these these people or whatever it is, right? Unless I removed myself from that situation, I wasn't going to beat it. And I went up there for 10 days. And as I was going through the pain, I promised myself I will never do anything that puts myself through through this type of misery ever again. And I've never looked back. I didn't go through AA or NA or any recovery program. Didn't yeah. do in, do any of that, right? Um, and that's why I asked, you know, before we came on, do you believe that somebody has to go through a recovery program in order to recover? But my question for you is having it be outpatient, how do you, I guess, shelter them from them going right back into the same environment, the yeah. same home with, one phone call away from being able to, you know, access what they need to access so they're not in pain at that point anymore? I, I think it's a great question, and, and I do stick to that. And I think that the answer is that that the true path to recovery from mental illness and from substance abuse is, in my opinion, and it's only my opinion, is a spiritual path, not a religious path, a spiritual path. However, you accomplish that. Mm. You did it by going into the mountains for 10 days. Yeah. Some people do it by uh, going to jail for 10 jail. days. <laughs> uh, yeah. Some people find so recovery do, yeah. in jail. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it seems I've like Jesus that. is in jail more than anywhere yeah. else. Everybody's, you know. Myself, I spent a lot of yeah. time in jail, yeah. in jails, and, and uh, you can find Christ and you can find God real quick in a jail. Yeah. And so some people find it there. Um, but. But every, everybody that fully recovers from any addiction or mental illness has found some sense of spirituality to get there, right? Mm. And you generally are not going to find that, um, that element within an inpatient program. Mm. You'll get some tools and you'll get some relief and you'll get some, you'll get some direction, which makes it really beneficial. But past that, we've got to go a step further. Now that you've had a break from this, now we've got to take it a step further, Right. So, um, the name of this book that I, I wrote, yeah. Desperation of a Dying Man, yeah. just perfectly outlines that. Anybody who's ever recovered from addiction or mental illness gets to a place where they, they have found these acceptable new lows that they're going through that are very elusive, that are taking them down to a place that becomes very unacceptable. Yeah. The desperation of the dying man. The person who says, I'm either going to stop this or I'm going to die from this. One or the other is happening here. Mm-hmm. And for every person in, in addiction or in, that suffers from mental illness, that elusive new unacceptable low is different. For some people, it might be the possibility of losing their wife or their family or their career. For hard-headed guys like Marines, <laughs> Marines and jugheads, you know, jarheads like myself, it takes you know homelessness for two yeah. years. And 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 where were you, you homeless? Salt Lake, yeah. Salt Lake City. Well, 
part of the time on the beach in San Diego because it was too damn cold. And, <laughs> yeah. And so you just had to get down there. You just hitchhike? <laughs> hitchhike, yeah. 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 It's amazing. But it takes uh, losing everything, career, family, uh, and then health, to get to a place where you have a doctor telling you you're not going to survive today. Yeah. Today is the day that you are leaving this planet. That's what was told to me. And uh, there I find my unacceptable yeah. new low that I can no longer stomach or stand yeah. to where actually the fear at that point is not the fear of dying. The fear of it is living one more day. Yep. Yeah. What happens one more day if I don't have this? Now I can't have this. I can't have this substance, the heroin, the alcohol, everything I was doing. Right. Mm -hmm. But now I'm going to die from this yeah. if I do it anymore. And now I don't want to live because I don't want to live without it. So there's, there, we be, there becomes the desperation of the dying man. It's that surrender of, hey, I can't take this anymore. Right. So you don't find that in the in an inpatient program. You don't find that place by just going to treatment someplace. Right. Most of the people that we work with at Zion Healing are people that have experienced this issue, the unacceptable new low. Do you talk to them about that when they come in? Absolutely. Like, where are you at right now? Like, have, are you at a low enough place yeah. where you're actually ready to go through the misery of change yeah. versus the misery of living another day showing up Thank as the much. version yes. of you that you are today? You hit the nail on the head. That's yeah. exactly where the conversation yeah. has to be. Yeah. And it's, what are we going to do from here? You know, are you trying to get a certificate for, because you got a nudge from a judge? Is that why you're here? Yeah. It's not a really good reason to be in treatment if it is. Right. Because that's one, that's one issue, but it certainly isn't going to cause a change in you. Yeah. You need a complete and absolute psychic change, a change in the way that you think. And it's going to take work. And it's going to take work on your part. Mm -hmm. You have to work at this. Oh, yeah. And you're not going to find that work by, by sitting in a group room. You're not going to find that work by going to an AA or an NA program. You're going to find that work by doing the work. Yep. Right? So what are you willing to do for your survival? Yeah. Those are the people we work with. So, so for you, um, like the day, the day that helped you realize that you needed to make a change, because it, it sounded like you, you know, you said you lost your family, lost a lot of your home, you were successful in, you know, television, yeah. you know, you, you had, you had a, a great life prior, right? Yeah, I'm interested in the story. Um, I mean, yeah. you, you didn't and, even and touch alcohol till 36. Yeah. So, you know, I'd love to hear <laughs> a hell of a spiral. It sounds like, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you had a, an awesome ascend to some really cool places, but you know, when you fell, you fell hard and you went into a deep, deep, dark place, but like two years of homeless, like, Okay, why not? Why wasn't it six months? Why wasn't it? You know, what was the day that that happened that said I have to make a change? Was there somebody that came into your life, a mentor that that said, "Hey, I see something in you. You need to make a change," or was it just like you sitting there and like, "Damn, this ain't it." I think the the uh, the change for me happens gradually. The uh, the acceptable new low, right? Can you accept uh, not having a home anymore? living in a hotel room. Yes. If you're an addict and somebody with addiction and mental illness who is suffering at a level that is unacceptable to the mind, you know, PTSD was my issue, you know, a military veteran. So I had severe mm. issues. And so if you 
if you look at the unacceptable, it became acceptable. My wife saying, I'm leaving you, and me going, well, okay, let's see you later. Yeah, the problem's her, not you. Yeah. Yeah. Because I got this thing, and I can yeah. spin the top, top of the bottle off of this thing, and I can take that big drink of it, and I can go, oh, everything's all right, mm-hmm. right? So it becomes acceptable. Losing my career, you know, my, my film career, uh, my business, and having people disown me like a lightning rod uh, to move away from me uh, becomes acceptable because I have that. Living in a hotel room becomes acceptable. Running out of money and panhandling on the streets of Salt Lake City, veteran, please help, becomes acceptable to me because I've got to have what I need to survive this day mm. becomes acceptable. And then living homeless in, on the streets becomes acceptable because I have substance to, 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 to drown out the loudness the of reality that misery. Of it, right? Right? Yeah. And this becomes your reality. And then multiple stints to hospitalization of physical issues. But the, the turning point for me, I think, was um, because I was, listen, I had absolutely no intention of stopping my yeah. using. Yeah. Even so, though it was so, so did you ever have the mo- like the thoughts in your head like, this is it. This, I'm a lifer. Like there was a few oh, times yeah. when I tried to yeah. quit and I couldn't. Yeah. I literally was, my mind told me like, this is now who yeah. you are, accepting and this, this is you, who you're, I am. you're kind of accepting it because you feel so defeated in yeah. trying to, you know, go this way, and it just didn't seem like it was possible. And then you just kind of accept that as your reality, and that this is now your life, right? Did you have some of those yeah. thoughts, kind of like it, this is just absolutely. it? This is yeah. it. This, this is, is it for me. Yeah, until the day I die. Yes, and I don't yes. know when that's going to be, and I yeah. really don't care. Yeah, and exactly. so you know, you're going down that road, but. Waking up in the LDS hospital, having had, um, I uh, had taken, uh, in a, one of my multiple failed suicide attempts, I had, I had drowned myself in a hotel room with, with a half a gallon of vodka that I had been able to drink most of and 17 Klonopin mm. that I had taken. And so having a heart failure at that point that was precipitated by that but had an underlying issue going on that I didn't know about or wasn't really aware of fully, even though my liver was gigantic, was that my liver was failing and that what I had just done had pushed it over its limit. So having my heart attack or my heart failure and having the doctor, Dr. Wander out of Salt Lake, I call him Dr. Wonder. He and I are still good <laughs> yeah. friends. And he's, yeah. he's a wonder he ever came into my life. Yeah. You know? And he's standing at the end of my bed saying, you're not going to survive this day. The pain that you have is esophagealitis. It's the liver inflammation. It's the inflammation around your heart, the extreme pain that you have that we're hitting you with morphine for. That's what you're getting. We're going to give you Ativan and morphine and let you check out because you're not leaving the hospital. Yeah. There's the wake-up call. Hmm. I said, what am I going to do? He said, pray if you're a praying man. And he left. He leaves the hotel room, or I mean the hospital room. He leaves me there, and uh, and I roll off the bed, and that's what I did, right for the first time, probably in my life. You know that I really did that, and it wasn't uh, a surrender of, uh, of please save my life. It was more of a of a I'm done. I need you to take me off of this earth today, hmm. quickly, because I can't stand the pain of this. 
And uh, I, I always joke, I joke with my students all the time. I, I call my people students, not patients, because student kind We're of teaching, patient, teaching patient kind yeah. of sounds like there's something wrong with them. Yeah. There's really not. Yeah. They just need education. They yeah. need help. Yeah. So I tell my students all the time that I begged God to take me off the earth, and he respectfully declined. (laughs) (laughs) I see why. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I uh, wake up the next day, and and, um, pain's gone. And and through the process of the miracle of that, I didn't call my my kids because they had all written me off. They all thought I had a death wish. And so, uh, you know, the... The irony of it is, is that four days later, uh, I've got liver function happening, and I'm walking out of this hospital uh, against medical advice, but I'm leaving. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're kind of a hard-headed guy, you know? I mean, <laughs> Just leaving. You don't take advice from too many people, obviously, you know? But I came back to Southern Utah. My mother was a retired uh, reg- registered nurse, and I, and I told her I need to come home, and she told me that I could. The day that I stopped using, I was always welcome there. And so I told her I'm done, and I came home. And then the following year, I spent a, I, I left uh, southern Utah and went to Nepal. I spent about a year in Nepal. Uh, doing uh, what? Pray, meditate, uh, be with me, me only. Did you climb Everest while you were there? Uh, we summited. Uh, <laughs> we climbed some big peaks over there. I got into the climbing community. That's cool. Um, we, uh, I, st- I got really, Isn't that where really monks and stuff are? Yeah, I got really spiritually yeah. connected, yeah. and I got really yeah. healthy because yeah. there was yeah. there was a lot nothing. of body movement and a yeah. lot of spirituality there, huh? Yeah. And it gave me some direction. I I, I was able to spend that time, uh, you know, conversing with my cell phone with my children, and hmm. you know, thinking about writing and thinking about my career, what I was going to do. Because one of the things that you get to, as you know is that people, places, and things is something that now has become unacceptable, right? Mm-hmm. So he, this has become, this unacceptable new low is where I, what started this. Yeah. But now they have become unacceptable. Mm. So I can't go back there. I can't do any of that. Mm. Can't go back to the film business. I can't go there. I can't do any of that. And overcoming the fear of that, I think, is what we teach our people the most is setting the fear or, or it's, I don't call it fear. I call it a prejudice. Mm. If I have a prejudice that this is not going to work for me, I'm failing in my movement. Mm. But if I can set that prejudice aside for a minute and open up my heart and my mind and say, I'm willing to try this, right? All kinds of miracles can happen. Yeah. So I was asked to do that by a really great mentor that was helping me. And, uh, and he said, just open up your mind and just be willing to walk through it. Hmm. Watch what happens. Yeah. And the direction that I received in my mind was that I needed to go back to school, that I needed to come up with a way to help others, to share this message with other people that need to hear that. And I started my first treatment program. That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, How old is. were you when you went to Nepal? 46. 46. How'd you afford to do that? Like coming off a of, you know, being dead broke and I had two hundred and seventy-five dollars in my pocket and a one-way ticket that my father bought for me. 
Because that, the, the, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, so cool. yeah, that, that's what people are going to say. Well, oh, this guy must have had this or that or whatever, right? Like <laughs> radical change kind of uh, requires you to <laughs> walk on faith a little bit, you yeah. know, and just go out there and do it rather than, you know, have it all figured out prior to, to making those moves. Well, I can tell you if you ever decide to do that, you can stay in a tea house in the... The Jory Trail is 125 miles from Kathmandu to, to Lukla, which is where the airport, mountain airport's at, uh-huh. at 9,500 feet. And in that village of Lukla, there's a guy named Kami that runs a little teeny tea house, and he will give you a job. And that job pays $5 per day. Nice. <laughs> and do, and do, does, does that get you through the day, though, there? Oh, yeah. At yeah. that point? Yeah, you're yeah, like. Yeah. You're able to survive on it. Like, where were you sleeping and all that? When you did well, you kind of camp out for a little bit? Or no, not really. Uh, tea house is like three bucks in Nepal. You know, to stay in a tea house and a meal's a buck fifty. And you know, if you can get a little bit of work, if you're if you're a traveling man, yeah, I did that. I I helped a guy out and got a little bit of money, and I kept going and kept going, and and uh, and I I, t- I made multiple trips to Nepal because it's a it's a country that I really love, and I could I could live there. And every time I've gone there, I've gone with very little money and yeah. came home with most of the same money that was in my pocket when I left. Yeah. yeah, It's really crazy. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, if, if you really want change bad enough or you want something bad enough, like you will find a way, you know, and it does take the willingness you're talking about. I mean, you know, asking somebody to buy you a one-way ticket takes takes a, a lot of, you know, humility and <laughs> and uh, willingness and then just going out there with hardly anything to just get started takes a lot and it's like we've seen that even in the business world, you know. I remember we had Bridger on our podcast and he was like, dude, like I remember my dad telling me if I want this bad enough, I will find the money to start his first fund. Right. Mm -hmm. So totally different circumstance, but it's like, you know, when you're really convicted and you want something bad enough, like, you know, whether it's asking people for help or an investor to invest or, you know, just, you know, finding a tea house out there in the middle of nowhere and willing to just, you know, get five bucks a day to survive, to find what you're, what you're needing. It's, it's a possible, right. Well, the, the, the treat, treatment reform, I think, is, is going back to the subject of treatment. You know, I think treatment reform in our country is needed. And, mm. uh, you know, we're building a, a 40-bed facility here in St. George, uh, uh, mostly to service veterans, but it will be open to the public. Yeah. And, What's your thought on, um, you know, the, the ketamines and, you know, some of the things that are start now starting the mushrooms, yeah. psilocybin, all of that for some of the PTSD, depression, mental health stuff. I've, Have you, you know, messed around with any of that or? We've seen it in our yeah. own programs. Our doctors, uh, you know, I have a, uh, one of my directors, uh, I have some great directors in my yeah. company. Uh, one of them is a medical professional who's a, a, a PhD, he's a psychiatrist, uh, He's an MD psychiatrist, and he he is very uh, active in the ketamine and the psychedelics. And but his belief, if you really ask him about it, is it's not a ter- it's not a long term fix. It mm-hmm. is a short term get this guy off the fence fix. Yeah. And the fence is usually the suicide ideation. Yeah. And the planning of a suicide and something like that can take a guy off the fence really yeah. quickly. But to use well, the, it as the, a long-term the, solution. Well, the world, they're, they're still going to have to go back out in the world, and yeah. there's still going to be triggers, right? Things that are going to bring up some of the old um, thoughts or, th- yeah. you know, it's going to put yeah. them right back where they were unless there's continued work, right? Yeah. So um, 
there's still traumas to be had. I mean, this is this little thing called life, right? So what do you, I mean, obviously depression's at an all-time high and it's continuing to rise, right? Mental health problems are at an all-time high and they're continuing to rise. What? Why do you think that that is? Um, like, what's the, is it comparison? Is it social media? Is it like, what do you, what do you believe is causing this? Oh, I, I think it's all our media. Like mm-hmm. we have a tremendous amount of downward pressure on us from our media. Yeah. Uh, uh, pressure. If you look at, uh, so, so do you advise people to, you know, as a part of mental health and depression is to remove, you know, yeah. watching the Watch new, Andy Griffith, you know, like <laughs> Andy, Gri- yeah, <laughs> Andy Griffin. There you go. Mr. Rogers. Right. Like, uh, yeah, watch Gomer file, man. Yeah. Can't go wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so is that, is that one of the things that you say is kind of remove yourself from, uh, you know, the surface level. And, yeah. Just day to day stuff. It's on TV today. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Any show that we have on television today has agendas to it. It has an agenda of alcoholism, uh, promoting uh, the drinking of alcohol, the use of drugs, uh, any show, any show yeah. that you pick. It's a modern-day show. It's a series, for instance. Every single episode will have the uh, the agendas that are there, mm-hmm. right, yeah. that are being pushed on us. Right. And this is downward pressure, you know, gender identification, uh, you know, who are we? And it's being shoved on us and shoved yeah. on us and shoved on us. Confusing people and, to make them more controllable. Yeah, confusing everybody. So our youth have a tremendous amount of pressure. Yes. When you have a youth, when our youth see that that these guys, these really cool guys on television that they really admire are pouring a glass of scotch at 10 o'clock in the morning in every single yeah. episode and every, almost every scene, they start to understand at a very young age that it's this is acceptable. This is okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're being our our youth are being brainwashed in masses by media. Even even these other places that people or other things that people turn to, 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 you know, feel gratified or numb out. Like I've heard over and over and over again in the business world with these business masterminds we go into men are really suffering from, you know, pornography or they have sex addictions or, um, gaming, right. There's numbing out gaming. Right. And so like, I, I know that that's turned into a problem for a lot of people as well. And so, um, I don't know if that's areas that you treat or if it's just substance abuse as well, but like, I know there's a lot of pressure in those areas as well. Like they don't feel like a man unless they're sleeping with lots of women or, you know, they're not sleeping with lots of women. So they're watching pornography all day or, or a good amount of day, you know? And we, I mean, we treat it all. We treat everything from, from, um, anything that's mental illness. We treat Uh, we're careful about uh, the sexual addictions uh, are uh, uh, some of the worst. Uh, for somebody to be addicted to pornography is a horrible, horrible mm. addiction because it's, and I feel for them because it's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. It's everywhere. Or, or an eating disorder. Somebody that's addicted to, uh, to food, food and an eating disorder. Yeah. I feel for these people so deeply because they have it, they have it harder. They have a harder road because it's everywhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. drugs, you got to go down the back alleyway or whatever. But food, yeah. you're driving by every yeah. second, every corner street. And then yeah. the whole sex thing, I mean, it's just every time you turn, I mean, that's what it is. Sex sells, right? So it's skimpy sells. women, dresses, yeah. this, that, social media. That's the, the what women do in order to get, you know, more likes and more awareness and more attention. It's like they post something regular. They're not going to get near the, the love that they will when they're in the bikini, right? Exactly. And so you're going to run across that shit. So it's almost like, 
literally recovering from drugs, but having to pass drugs every single day. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I had a guy who's a very prominent uh, entertainer come into my program, came into my life years ago, and, and he and I have just become the best of friends. And, and, and you'd be surprised if I told you who he is. Uh, that is, it was had a, uh, an addiction to pornography that had turned him in, in, from his own description of it into somebody who was very internally angry. Mm. A lot That's of shame. Yeah. Because of the shame of it. Yeah. And it had so deeply affected his life, his, his marriage, and, 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 uh, and his wife had left him over it, and, and he was just so affected. Of it. And, but the principles, you see, when he came to me, he said, there's no way I can overcome this by going to a treatment program like yours. And I said, why? The, the principles are the same. It's still an issue. It's still yeah. a thinking issue that we've yeah. got to under, uncover. It's a dominating thought. There's a reason why you're turning to pornography to kick yeah. in those endorphins that you're yeah. feeling. Yep. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with its looking at pornography as fun. Yeah. You're probably finding it pretty shameful and misery and miserable. It's it's the it is the addiction, the drug of choice that you have chosen, right? Mm-hmm. That gets you your fix where you want to be. So we have to treat it the same way. Yeah. And at the end of the day, just like alcoholism or drug addiction. We had a treatment plan that allowed him a pathway to uh, living without it. Same, same as a, an alcoholic would live without going to the liquor store. You know, he changed, he took his uh, cell phone, threw it away, and got one of those old, old, old <laughs> flip, flip phones. Flip phones. Flip yeah. phones. <laughs> it doesn't allow him a screen, and he, had to, and he lives his life without a computer. Doesn't mean he's going to do that forever. Yeah, but it's what he has to do now to make. He's sure controlling that, his environment. Uh, he's okay. Yeah, controlling that environment. He mm-hmm. he has a decision to make. Is he going to pick up today, or is he going to stay sober today? Mm. And he's staying sober every day. How right? important do you think? Um, I mean, like I said, you're a fit fit guy. How important do you think um, physical uh, fitness is to your mental health? It's a hundred hundred percent. Physical recovery is paramount to mental recovery hmm. so so you get to the brain through the body yeah physical emotional spiritual mental those four elements have all got to be in a line hmm. or you're going to relapse you're most yeah. likely over some period of time you're going to relapse have you found uh, you know how they say um idle time is the devil's playground right like you you because people that use that's the the, the thought that they have all day, the first thing that they think about when they wake up, using, right? Last th- thought they have at the end, every thought is dominated by whatever it is, whether it's pornography, whether it's, you know, heroin, whether it's alcohol, whatever it is. They want to do this thing prior to doing whatever else that they're going to do, right? Um, do you find that th- that they have to fill in those gaps with something positive? Um, yeah, I, I think that it has to be there, yes. Yes. I do, Trevor. But I think that that to get to that point, somebody has to have an experience, right? If you look at uh, the simplicity of a 12-step program, for instance, yeah, 12 steps, you see it in AA, you see it in treatment programs. Most treatment programs go by a 12-step program for a reason. The first step in that, a mentor once told me, if you could take the word step out of it and replace it with experience, mm. right? The first experience has to be one uh, that has three pieces to it. It has to have acceptance, admittance, and surrender attached to it. But to get to that, 
we have to first have an inner an inner conceding to here yeah i have to uh, to concede to the failure of this issue that i can't mm-hmm. control similar to you going to the mountains right yeah you had to concede to only you that the only answer for you was to get away from it i had yeah. to fully concede to that yep before you could admit to yourself that you were an addict up until you conceded that you were you were doomed that you were powerless to to change this on your own without some help you couldn't accept it you couldn't admit it so you had to run away from that and get to a place where you could actually accept that this is who i am mm-hmm. that I, this is what i'm dealing with and i can admit that to myself then i can surrender right yeah yeah i just had to hit a uh extreme low yeah it was yeah. like okay. <laughs> yeah, okay this is undeniable no now, way I'm now i'm looking around it's undeniable <laughs> i'm really at a bad place so something's got to give yeah. you know <laughs> and it's my choices yeah. so we you know we, we use those principles to get yeah. somebody past that you know you have yeah. to you, you you've got to change your environment or yeah. you're going to go right back to it yeah yeah the people places and things it's gonna happen yeah <laughs> and and I, and I honestly think that that's part of the difficulty right i had a buddy that passed away uh, from overdosing and um, he got clean at one point um, and one of the most difficult things for him was not having his phone blow up all the time because he was the hookup oh, he yeah. was the guy that everybody would go to because he, was a candy man. he yeah he yeah. <laughs> he had the need to to feel needed mm-hmm. right and so it gave him some sort of validation power control over other human beings that we're at a low spot and eh, I'll meet you in an hour or, Oh, please, please. Like, can I meet you right off? Go where I'll pay X, you know? And so like, not only did he have to go through pain, but he also now had a phone that wasn't blowing up and didn't have the validation that he had power and control as well. Um, and, uh, that was, I, that was a very difficult thing for him to overcome, which is kind of weird, but there has to be some sort of dopamine hitting Every time yeah. your phone's ringing and you're in control, you're in control of, of somebody else's emotions or feelings at that time yeah. and having them beg you for something. Right. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, yeah. that's a great perspective. I yeah. never really thought about until yeah. this very moment. But yeah. Those guys do. They must get a charge out of that. Oh, it is. Yeah. That's that was just as difficult for him to overcome wow. um, as the as the actual drug itself. He ended up getting in a car accident and they put him back on drugs because he broke his neck and back and he never recovered from wow. it. But, um, and then ended up passing away, passing away. But, um, yeah, that was, that was one thing. And he even said that he's like, dude, one of the hardest things is like, nobody needs me anymore. Nobody needs me. Yeah. You know? And so who am I? That's yeah. the other thing that we, we talk about a lot yeah. in, in, in the treatment programs is that is to you in order for you to fully recover from mental illness and from addiction, you actually have to become somebody who you haven't been. Mm-hmm. The old person has to die. Yeah. This new person has to emerge. You know, so every single thing about you has to change. Yeah. And sometimes that may include a career. Yeah. How mm-hmm. you make your money. Yeah. What you do is living. Look at me. I couldn't go back to the film business. Mm. I could have easily picked up the phone and went back to a million to two million dollar a year salary. Yeah. Over at Warner's, I could have done that, but I knew that it would have been the death of me. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. E- it's easy for people to say, well, it's all I know that they have to go back there, but you don't, yeah. you, you don't, know? you don't. You there's there's always a whole new, yeah. You know, make a decision, go go forward instead of backwards. You go backwards, you're gonna relapse. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you, how do they connect with you? And and you have you know, 
is this is this something that can be done over the phone via Zoom? Is this uh, it ha- or does it have to be in person and then they get to go home or do they have to come to a facility? And they, on top of that, before you answer that too, like it is really incredible what you've built too. Like you yeah. are a franchise. So if someone else is passionate, been on similar journeys or, you know, this is a career that they may want, like how, like how do they, you know, connect with you about opportunities to be part of Zion Healing Center? Well, they, you can, all the information is on our website. It's zionhealing.com. The franchise information's on there. Um, you know, my goal with our franchise is to literally have hundreds and hundreds of, of these locations nationwide that are successful. Somebody can get into the business for as little as $200,000. Mm. We do all the licensing, credentialing, training, support. Yeah. Uh, our systems are intact. They're good. Is okay. it better for somebody to have overcome addiction themselves in order to own a treatment facility? There's no doubt about it. Yeah. The, the, the hardest, <laughs> the guys having the hardest time yeah. are the guys that are just that entrepreneurs that, are, yeah. that don't get that. They're in it yeah. for the money side of it <laughs> yeah. rather than yeah. understanding the and pain. I, and I'm yeah. the guy that's on the other end of the line going, listen to me. Yeah. If you just focus on the people, yeah. money will hunt you down. Yeah. You know, yeah. Exactly. And, that's so true. You know, and so if, if you, the only problem that you're making here, not that you're not a great business owner and you're yeah. a great entrepreneur, the person that's answering the phone in your office, go hire a drug addict. Yeah. Go hire an alcoholic. Somebody hire somebody that, with somebody a mental gets illness it. who's yeah. overcome this yeah. and put them on the phone. Has yeah. true compassion yeah. for it and, They'll have and purpose from it. They'll build relationships with these people. They'll yeah. come in. There's common ground. Yeah. Common ground. I understand you, sir. They'll cry with them. They'll even pray with them over the phone, yeah. but they will come in. It's like hiring a 500 pound fitness trainer, (laughs) right? You're like, ah, we don't really have common ground here. You know, like, uh, (laughs) you know, I'd like to talk to somebody that knows, you know, what I'm currently going through. Do you have anybody there that would understand me? Yeah. Anyone anyone at all. That's what they're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when somebody could speak from their own experience and say, I get it, you know, and that's really what they're looking for. Somebody that understands and gets it. That's why like in my center here in St. George, I don't, I don't allow my staff to answer the phone. I won't. I take every call. You like to do it, yeah. Because I, and I'm full all the time because it's me building the relationships with the people that need yeah. help. Yeah. You know, and I've been where they're at. Yeah. Do you ever plan on changing that? Changing? Changing that. You answering every call. No. Not at all. No. no. You love I it? love talking to people yeah. about recovery. Yeah. <laughs> that's your that's your new high huh yeah, that's your I, you new know, dopamine head I, uh, I do public speaking uh people hire me to do public speaking i yeah. do uh you know i i do my own podcast i do things that are where i'm trying to push this agenda and message yeah, yeah. out there the message of hope yep that that it's there guys you just got to reach for it yeah, yeah. and uh, but yeah zionhealing.com so they they find your books there they find everything yeah. there right yeah. so you don't so, have like a personal website or personal Instagram or Facebook or anything like that. It's just all zionhealing.com. They could, they could find what they need to find there, whether it's, you know, information about a franchise, whether it's information about recovery, whether it's wanting to read one of your books, um, the book desperation of a dying man. Um, I can't wait to read it, you yeah. know, because well, I'll leave uh, these hey, with you then. That, yeah. yeah, that's a, that's a hell of a title. <laughs> Trent's you know? been so, eyeing it the whole time. Yeah, like, uh, I'll make you a deal. I'm if you get like that it, I'll come back over here and sign it. Hey, what about like loved ones though, that are trying to get their family in treatment? Like, yeah. is that, is that like yeah. really not successful? Like, I think it is successful okay. because 
you know, the guys that uh, uh, where it's not successful is where a loved one says, we know that he needs this. Yeah. yeah. Versus. Or an ultimatum, maybe. like Or an ultimatum. Versus we are here to support him if he will choose to do this. That's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this and you're a parent, um, please don't ever make an ultimatum on your children to either get treatment. Uh, I mean, you certainly can either either seek treatment, get help, but stop using, or you're not welcome in my home. That's that's a that's a, a healthy thing to do. Yeah, it's a difficult, loving thing to do. S- to say stop using, or you're not welcome in my home. That's correct. That's, okay, it's, a, it's one of the most loving things a parent could do. Yeah, that's when I changed. Yeah. Exactly. When I got booted out and I didn't know what the heck was going to go on with my life. But I used as long as I had a roof over my head and food in my mouth. Exactly. I didn't hit a low yet. But you found it. Yeah. And you wouldn't have if you would have stayed there. Yep. One of the most loving things my mother ever did was to turn her back on me. Yep. And because it pushed me down a road to recovery. Mm -hmm. And if she hadn't have done that, I would have died where I was at. I agree. Yeah. No doubt about it. So. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Parents, uh, you know, you push your push your kids that way. Yeah. I'm here to support you. Yeah, I want to introduce you to a guy that yeah. we're talking to, or a treatment program that we're talking to, and we really like what they do, and we think that it. We don't want to push it on you. We would like to you you to explore it. Yeah. I've never really met somebody that says I enjoy doing this every single day. Every single day I woke up, I, I hated it. Yeah. And my parents exactly. said, hey, we want you to change this, that, the other. I'm like, I, I want to change too. Yeah. I want to change yeah. too. Yeah. Like, never, uh, met a, and, never met a happy happy addict. Yeah, yeah. like, ooh, sweet. Another day to use. Can't wait. I'm going to get up early and watch the sunrise as I put a needle in my arm. What a beautiful day. Uh, it doesn't happen like that. And so that like um, every, every addict wants to change. Um, you know, but nobody else can force that change upon. They have to hit that that extreme low, yeah. and hopefully, it happens sooner than later. And you know, you could be a, a conduit to help them hit that extreme low you can help by some, turning your back on them. You can help yeah. them right to the bottom. Yep, and and make it can, happen. You know, I call it just get <laughs> the hell out of their way. Yeah, because yeah. they're going there. Yeah, you're yeah. the only thing. Yeah. I had a guy. My own son was a uh, uh, real quick as we end is my own son recovered alcoholic. Uh, Trent and I are best friends. He's not really my son. He's my best friend. Yeah. And he came to my treatment program twice, came to my inpatient program two times. And uh, second time around, it was stuck for him because he couldn't understand why it was that I wasn't doing things for him. Mm. My father owns this place. And, and, uh, and I said, well, this time around, I'm not going to do any of that. You're going to figure this out. And when you leave here, when you relapse, which you will, because you're not doing the work, you're going to be on your own and you're going to figure it out. You will know what to do because you came here, but you're going to figure this out and I'm not going to lift a finger to help you. And so he left and he relapsed and he called me up and said, can I come back? And I said, absolutely not. It was one of the hardest decisions I had ever made. You're going to go figure this out or you're going to die from what you've got. And he went to Salt Lake Behavioral, and he got cleaned up, and he started. He had all the tools. He had learned them while he was with us. He had been through a program, uh, and he started to apply the tools, yep. the principles that he had learned, and he did the work and found his recovery, mm-hmm. right? He'll tell you the same story I tell about my mother. Dad saved my life. Mm-hmm. He turned his back on me, and it saved my life, yeah. mm-hmm. right? 
So Some I had those. a guy, a really good mentor, tell me one day about Trent. He said, uh, when are you going to stop participating in your son's death? Yeah. Because that's what you are doing. Wow. So when you decide to stop participating in his death, you should let him know that. Yeah. Mm. And it was hard. Yeah. yeah. But I thought about that for a while, and I went, wow, that's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, I am the reason that he's still using. I'm, mm. I'm the guy that's his soft landing. Yeah. And yeah. I'm the reason he comes and gets a little break, and he goes back to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's the, I got a bed for him at my house. He can yeah. come there anytime. And, and I'm the guy that's standing right in the way of his recovery. Yeah. And I got to get out of the way. It's a hard realization yeah. for parents, you know. It's super cool. No, I appreciate you coming on, man. It's a, a, a good discussion. You know, I know a lot of entrepreneurs just in general deal with uh, some form of addiction, right? Yeah. Whether it's Adderall addiction, whether it's alcohol yeah. addiction, whether it's, you know, painkillers or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Zan, chasing you know, money. I mean, yeah, yeah, chasing, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, whether you're chasing money, women, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. If you're chasing something and, and every thought is being dominated by one thing that isn't healthy or positive, then, uh, you know, that's a problem. And so uh, I think that you shined a, a lot of light on the subject and I think it'll have some impact on, on people. And that's absolutely. the whole purpose of the podcast. And Thanks so, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it with somebody that you love, maybe somebody that's, uh, you know, in a desperate situation um, and you know that they're currently in the middle of their battle with some form of addiction because I think that this episode will uh, bring value to those type of people, maybe trigger a certain type of thought that'll make them think a certain way that'll make them want to, to make that change. And so we hope you guys are kicking ass. We hope you guys are well. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.